Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And um, I'm sure that you've been holding your breath, but we did not record a podcast last week because... Because... Um, because... I had COVID. Plague, <laughs> the plague came. The plague. And, People are still recovering, so we are recording this conversation on Zoom, so we have not taken a walk, and I am sitting at my very, very creaky, squeaky dining room table, so I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have this time to meet. I'm, I'm glad to be on the other side of COVID, so this is, this is good, even if we have to meet on Zoom. Yeah. So what's astonishing you, friend? Well, I have not watched the news or been in touch with much over the past few days. However, I have to tell you about this wonderfully sweet thing my child did for me the other day. My eight-year-old Matthew, I uh, came into my room and um, we don't buy like fruit punch or fruit juices much. I mean, it's pretty rare in our house. And so he comes into my uh, room with this glass of reddish liquid. And he said, Daddy, I made you some fruit punch. And I was like, oh, he's like, it's really good. You got to try it. And I noticed at the bottom, there were um, some uh, red and orange balls at the bottom. And this child, this wonderful child, had poured a glass of water and gotten some popsicles out of the refrigerator, <laughs> put them in the water, let them melt. And he made me fruit punch so that I would feel better. Just the sweetest Aww. thing ever. That is very, very sweet. That is very sweet. So I'm astonished by the, the impulse of my child to take care of his father during COVID. And the ingenuity. Like, and the ingenuity, that's actually. right. Yeah. I mean... That is fruit punch, concentrated chemical sweetness, food dye, and water. So yeah, he did that. Let's let's just say it's good that I'm not diabetic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always, always. So what's astonishing you? Um, well, less sweet. Um, I we were talking before we hit record. I I had a just a really intense week last week with a lot of, um, just a lot of ups and downs. Um, but a real low, low for me was I just, um, there's a, a, a friendship that really I treasure and means a lot to me. And I just really messed something up. Um, and so I just, I just really made a big mistake an oversight that has everything to do with my particular wiring of just kind of going fast and getting excited and sometimes um, avoiding hard conversations. And um, so I just made a mistake in a way that was really um, hurtful to my friend and my, my friends who I care about and harmful to our relationship. And I, um, obviously, you know, you, you have to sit with that. And so I've just been really, I've been upset about it and I've been sitting with it and, um, just trying to not be 
super dramatic about it, but also trying not to be like, oh, well, obviously, um, like what beyond sort of figuring out what, what the faithful way is to move forward toward my friends. Um, and, and, but then also just trying to really think, well, what do I, what do I need to learn from this? Like, how do I, um, just do what I can, not just to make amends and repair the relationship, but like to, to really seek understanding of like what it was that made me make this mistake, which was, you know, had a big impact, but not, that did not match my intention at all. And so, you know, that whole Paul thing about like, why do I do the thing that I don't want to do when I don't do the thing that I do want to do? Like, just yep. sort of not just like shrugging and being like, oh, well, but just really looking at that. And so I've just been really sitting with it. Um, and um, I think, I, and and in the mornings when I'm try to um, try semi-regularly to sit down with scripture that has nothing to do with what I'm preaching or what I'm teaching about, but just sort of come before the Lord and, and, um, sort of be in the presence of God, but the word of God, that is scripture is often a way that is just really easy for me to, to come into the presence of, of God and, and awareness of who God is. And, and, um, I just was reading some of the Psalms and some of the Psalms about the goodness of God. And the thing that really astonished me was just this like terrible, beautiful, uh, dangerous revelation of like, you know, I did a bad thing, a harmful thing, and God is still good. And I felt like there were moments um, when I was wrestling with this and sort of desperately praying about it that I just felt like, I heard the Lord saying like, Hey, you, you can't fix this. Um, but I can, and you can't, um, repair harm, but I can, and just sort of in the overwhelming context of the goodness of God, I mean, it's just living with that dual awareness, right? So not to say like, God is good. So anything I do doesn't matter. And also to say like the, the choices that I make intentionally or unintentionally that cause pain to other people, they matter. And I don't have to despair over them because in the context of God's love, they're just not powerful enough to ultimately harm my friend. And anyway, so I just, you know, it's just been astonishing to me about like how, how to really live intentionally in the reality of grace that it doesn't, it should never make us care less. And I think sometimes that's what happens, particularly in kind of marketplace Christianity. There's just this idea of like, well, God loves you because you're good and you make normal mistakes. And we talk about brokenness and not sin. And it's just sort of this idea that like, you know, the people who cause real harm are not you. <laughs> they're, they're the people who are acting upon you. And but just to sort of say like, that's not really helpful. Like you're like, none of us are garbage and we all have sacred worth and belonging. And yet like we really, you know, isn't there a Tyler Perry movie with the title that's like something about like the bad we do, or I don't know, but like we do, we do bad things. And the, the thing that gives me hope and the things that gives me peace is just to be able to look soberly at that and 
then say, I, my faith is not that I'm a good person and not that I'm never going to mess up, but that the goodness of God is an overwhelming flood that can catch up even my screw ups into that story. And that really the danger of the life of faith is without really noticing your faith can become about how well you understand and conform to the goodness of God and like how it it can just be so easy to constantly compare yourself with people who you can perceive as not being as faithful or not being as committed or not being as intentional. And the reality is our faith is not in our faith. And it's certainly not in our goodness. Like our faith is in the goodness of God. And I don't think that you really can understand the goodness of God well, unless you spend serious time wrestling with like your own just stinky humanity. And um, just being able to say like, I, I really crave the forgiveness of my friend, but I also just need to not be so shocked that like, well, yes, this is who I am. And there's just things about the way that I've been made and the gifts that I have that, you know, full of the spirit can be really beautiful. And that's exciting. And I, and I love that. And there are just ways that I can not be centered where I need to be centered and not be faithful in the ways that I need to be faithful. And then the unique ways that I have been made can really um, cut and harm. And that's just like a sober reality you have to live with. And that's the humility that you need to be grounded in all the time, that just there are, there are parts of us that aren't cute. And this is the last thing I'm going to say that um, I think that's one of the reasons that we really fear deep um, relationships and vulnerability, because if you don't know someone very well, then you can just know the good parts of them. But if you know someone really well, um, and there's an intimacy, it's just only so long that you can hide your, your gunk. And I think to be able to just recognize like, oh, this, this person that I really care about saw a part of me that I really hate. Um, and also just this awareness of like, if you're going to be friends with people, then you, you have to understand that if you're really going to be friends, you're going to love them for all that is in them that is good and beautiful and holy. And you're going to have to decide, do people need, I mean, and this is not to say what my friend should or shouldn't do, but like, do people need to be perfect to be your friend? Like, can you get, know them well enough to see the parts of them that are just janky and really have right expectations of like, yes, my, my friend, myself, like I am a person. And so I am not God. And I just, you know, mess up, do bad things, um, hurt people I want to love. And that's just a reality we have to live with. And and when we know one another, well, when we have real non-superficial friendships, then we're going to get to know the goodness of people better, but we are also going to get to know um, the sinful brokenness of them. And I just been sitting with all of that, but just really, um, feeling astonished at the goodness of God and that, you know, I'm not going to find hope and peace in my ability to fix something that really can't be fixed, but I, but I do have hope and peace because I am now who I always have been (laughs) just more well-known by myself and my friend. And 
the goodness of God is an overwhelming flood. And, and that's what I trust in. So that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, what I appreciate about all that is um, that so many people would have that same experience and quickly dismiss it, go, oops, I made a mistake and let's move on. Um, but you are seeing it through the lens of the very, very deeply flawed nature of all humanity, including yourself, which reminds me of one of probably the most compelling things about the Christian faith. And it's that the reality is we need a savior. We need a rescuer because right. even the best of our humanity, even our best efforts, there's still this thing called sin. And at some point we will mess it up. We will screw it up. We will sin and we, we need a savior. And it just reminds me of that once again. And I think like, this is one thing that I think is so interesting about the incarnationality of our faith, both like the idea that God would come down and be made flesh and walk around with people, because there's something in us as humans that we just need, we need our faith to be enfleshed. And so one real way we come to know the love of God is through the love of other people. And that's just, I think, just part of our part of our nature. Like that's why I think before the fall that God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, like we just need to know God in a, in an immediate and embodied way. Um, but the, just the danger of that is, you know, we do know the love of the Lord through the people around us, through the love of our families and friends and through even like institutions. And also it's so important to always remember that like these people are not the Lord. And so they cannot, like, they will hurt us. They will disappoint us. They will do, you know, and, and we, them, and, and that's not to say that any of that is okay. I mean, it's just part of the, the tragedy of new creation groaning out, but it's also to be able to say, like, if we can keep people, if we can keep people sized expectations for people, instead of putting like quasi savior sized ex not or even friend like the kind of friend we need ultimately that like our I mean gosh this sounds like such a hallmark precious moments kind of things to say but like the, the the person who needs to be our best and closest friend is Jesus and then if 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 Jesus is really deeply filling our need for affection and companionship and understanding and forgiveness and that like then we just we have an overflow that we can give to others and also when other people hurt us it's just like we have some we have some stuff some context to handle that with but if we but if our if our faith is too focused on the people who have been sort of the containers of our faith then that becomes really problematic and that um yeah it's just reminds me of that um theory from sociology. I think um, Charles Cooley, Cooley's the last name. I think the first name is Charles, um, but he had this theory called the looking glass self that says whoever is the most important person in your life, what they think of you will enlarge yes. portion determine what you think about yourself. So it is true. If Jesus is the most important person in your life, then that says a lot that will determine quite a bit of what you think about yourself. 
Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because that helps me see that I think what I've really been wrestling with all week is sort of like, I'm so disappointed in me that I can't get over it, which then reveals like the most important person in my life is me. Shameful, embarrassing, but true. But if the most important person in your life is Jesus, then when you come to an unavoidable place of like sin and brokenness, you go like, well, the most important person in my life already knew this about me and loves me. And so I can accept that and move on. But if the most important part of a person in your life is you and you can't forgive you, then you're stuck. Right. And I think that's kind of all week. I've just been like, yeah, this is astonishingly, embarrassingly still kind of new news to me, <laughs> but it's not new news to Jesus. It's probably not even new news to my friend, honestly, as well as I think I do at hiring, hiding my stink and, um, and just being able to be like, yeah, this is, this is just, yeah, this is me. Like the, the, they're just some not greatness. <laughs> so anyway, so there's right, well, some enough. not greatness. That, there's that is the quote. Not greatness the way, there's some, some real, real not greatness here. <laughs> some real high highs and some real low lows. And that is, um, yeah. Um, so this is, I try that now, for your daily affirmations, Tony Robbins. There's some yes. real not greatness here. There's some real not greatness here. Um, so can we move on? Because I now have a vulnerability hangover. So we're gonna um we're gonna move on and and <laughs> we pick some real light things to talk about today. That's what we so, do. All right, yeah. You you wanna go first? What are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about uh Buffalo, New York. We haven't uh talked about that on this podcast and um I'm sure most of our listeners, if not all of them, uh, know that, what, 10 days ago, mm -hmm. um, a shooter went into a grocery store, Buffalo, New York, in a Black neighborhood uh, with a semi-automatic weapon, killed uh, 10 Black people. Um, it's always astonishing to me when the police are able to... Uh, take such a person alive when uh, black people are stopped <laughs> in their cars and somehow they just had to be shot. But that's, that's another story. Uh, so when the gunman was taken uh, by police uh, uh, into custody, it's revealed that um, he was operating by white supremacist ideology, uh, the great replacement theory saying that uh, black people, brown people are um, taking over the country, that there's a white genocide. Um, there's a long history of this um, in the, this country that uh, white people have to be protected by uh, a, this growing majority. Uh, you know, like this, there's a fear that we might somehow do what has been done to us. And so that justifies violence, that justifies um, injustice. And so he um, traveled to Buffalo, New York from, I believe, was it New Jersey or New York City? I can't remember where. No, it, he was from a, his hometown was called Conklin. Um, I, I think it was also in a different part of New York, but it was three hours away. He traveled three, three hours, hours away. away. Yeah. Um, again, killing 10 black people. Um, and this, this ideology of 
you know, the great replacement theory, it used to be, used to be, I'm, I'm talking about the um, recent past, you know, past few decades, kind of the, the fringe. And now you hear politicians trafficking in it, uh, certain news outlets. And um, gosh, it just reminds me, you know, the Bible talks about powers and principalities of evil. And uh, those powers and principalities often take the form of, of systems. And I think we also forget, we, we, we forget that they also take the form of ideologies, of, of lies, of, of deceptions. And, and, and this, this deception that um, white people are being replaced, that white people have to protect themselves from the browning uh, of America is the lie of the enemy. And there's a, there's a part of me that um, good, I really have like two reactions. There's a part of me that says, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm done. Let, let's, <laughs> let's just move. Let's, let's just be done yeah. with this um, and, and, and find another place to live. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a, a kind of a, uh, a, a Nat Turner, right? No, we we need to fight back. Uh, and I, I think both of those are um, not what the Lord is calling for. I, I think that there is a, a way of Jesus. Um, there is a, there's a kingdom way because clearly this is this kind of thing is a response to. Um, the growing diversity of the country. And so I think it is just imperative that God's people have um, a very sober mind uh, about this and not go to any extreme, um, but to be clear that this is evil, to be clear, we do not need to return uh, violence for violence, but also to be clear that this, uh, we, we are not to be um, uh, passive as if nothing is happening. Mm -hmm. But this does call for uh, a, a, a kingdom action in, in terms of, of systemic injustice, systemic racism, and, and violence. And, and again, here we go again with with gun violence and politicians are saying well there's there's nothing to see here in terms of in terms yeah. of guns i mean i i have so many thoughts and we could talk obviously for days about all the levels of this but i do think um that one of the reasons that you know it, it reminds me of pharaoh in exodus like sort of having that moment of, of seeing the weapon he has created and the threat that he has created against himself by this, these generations of injustice and oppression against the Hebrew people who are enslaved at that point in the history of the Egyptian empire. And, and he begins to grow afraid because he sees um, just the, um, what what evil and he's done and his and his people have done towards the Hebrews and he realizes if they ever you know they would there's this 
there's this assumption, even if it's an unexamined assumption that like, well, when we had the power, we did this to them. So if they ever get power, we know what they'll do. They'll do to us what we've done to them, right? So it's just sort of this, uh, as much as I think there's a fear of really looking at the depth of um, injustice and suffering and um, evil that um, people of color in general and indigenous and um, folks who were enslaved and folks of African descent in particular have experienced in this country. Like we don't want to know about it as white people. Um, but also there's this um, fear, a conscious or unconscious that like we, you know, we know about it and that's why we're so scared. And um, I think that it reminds me of just looking at um, this young man who was 18 mm. and looking at what he chose to do. Um, I think one of the reasons that, you know, that people I'm thinking about lead paint and, you know, people used to like just use lead paint and what, for whatever reason um, and without really understanding the danger of it. And then um, it was so dangerous not tear. I mean, it wasn't great for adults, um, but it was incredibly dangerous for young people, for children and infants, just because of the sort of body ratio, like just the toxicity um, intensified, and it was more malformant in the in the very young. And so I sort of feel like you know this idea that we want to say like, okay, well, racism is over, and we don't have prejudice, and it's not at like if you look at the amount of hate that has been concentrated in the hearts of the very very young, you sort of see like, no, as much as we want to pretend there's nothing to see here, you know, the fact that. Um, these ideologies keep spawning these proponents shows us that like, you know, this, this is real. It had, that's not just words. These just words have real power. And I think as people of faith, particularly, I mean, as a white person, I think about like, how, how is the Lord calling me to respond as a, as a person following Jesus, who is, is deemed white. Um, I think it's really important for us to recognize that we have to be willing to disrupt these narratives where we see them and, and stop sort of avoiding uncomfortable conversations by saying, you know, by turning away when someone says something that is untrue or thinking like, oh, it's just, you know, they just watch too much Fox News, but to really engage um, and to know, um, to educate ourselves so that we can disrupt and to be willing to pay the price of damaged relationships. Um, and I, I think that's also just really important to realize that um, these attacks affect white and black Americans very differently. Like white people might feel a level of um, guilt or shame or defensiveness, but people of color have to live with visceral terror of I'm shopping in the grocery store and what if someone comes in and shoots me like this can happen. And I think it's really easy when you don't feel scared to dismiss someone else's fear. And I think it's really important for white Americans to understand that this isn't just another shooting. Um, this isn't the general threat that we all live with because we live in a country that like just 
is is so um, obsessed with guns and violence solving problems, but there's a particularity to the threat for people with black and brown skin, because along with the prevalence of guns and along with our love of violence, there are respected leaders in the media and in the political world who are telling the story of people are coming to replace you and you have to fight back and this is justified. And, you know, people say like, oh, it's just rhetoric and it's just talk, but it doesn't feel like just rhetoric and just talk when people who look like you died, not just because of the bullets, but because of the talk. And so I think it's really important um, as a as a follower of Jesus who is um, white to be willing to have these uncomfortable conversations and say, we have to disrupt these stories because these stories are killing our brothers and sisters. And we have to under, like try to understand um, the just the terror and burden of not feeling safe anywhere. And I, you know, I know that statistically, I mean, there's the difference between statistically being safe and feeling safe. And I think that's what I don't think that white people always understand that you hear these stories and they're horrific and it's easy just to think like, yeah, that was bad, but it doesn't happen all the time. But if it, but if you are someone who looks like the people who are being killed, walking down the road, driving in the driving, in the um, sitting in your home, playing video games, like sitting in your home with the door. I mean, like if you are a person who looks like the people who literally can't be safe in any space, just that terrible psychological burden and just like cultivating some real reverence for that pain that our siblings are bearing and just a real um, intentionality about wanting to be responsive to that in the ways that the spirit leads us. So yeah. um, I, I just read today and I haven't looked at all the story, but I, now someone is saying that that same young man had been coming to that same store for months and walking around and using the N word and the people in that store, the leaders in that store just didn't didn't address it, like maybe asked him to leave, but didn't call the police. And I, you know, earlier this week, I was reading an article with, on leadership and the line that really caught my attention saying like the health of a community is determined by the worst behavior that leaders are willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. And I think for us as believers, especially as believers who are white, if we are willing to tolerate you know, racist jokes and racial slurs. And, you know, when people who look like us make statements that are um, dangerous and ignorant, and we don't feel equipped to disrupt, um, or, or we don't want to learn enough, because it's just so painful to look, you know, that that's a problem. Like we, this is spiritual work, and we have to we of all people need to understand that um, the, we have to be intentional about doing the work of casting out the spirit of racism and it, and it lives predominantly in people um, whose, who, whose skin looks like mine. And I just want to say, lastly, that I think it's really important for people to hear 
me say clearly, the goal is not white people don't have to hate themselves for being white and white people don't have to feel guilt or ashamed for being white. There's nothing wrong or sinful about having the skin that God put you in. And there's, we are not responsible for things that happened before we were alive. Like that is true, but we do have a sphere of influence now. And part of what I think a spiritual work to do is, and that I think we're equipped to do because of we're people of the gospels, we have to have the courage and the strength to look soberly at the depth of human depravity and at the way that in this country that has been expressed through racial hierarchies and racial discriminations. And we have to be able to look at that soberly, learn about it, and then walk out in love, um, speaking speaking the truth and advocating for another way and being willing to be about the work of reconciliation and repair and building trust. And it is not, it's not helpful to hate yourself for being white. And it's not helpful to pass judgment on, on other, you know, what, what is helpful is just to say, this is what sin looks like in our nation. This is our original sin. This is how I believe that God is calling us to live and then to seek the Lord. Like, what would you have me do? Um, but, but God doesn't want us to, we, we can't hate ourselves into creating more shalom in the world. We have to be, we are free to love being who we are in the bodies that we've been given. And I think people talk a lot about the danger that whiteness has done in our culture. And I think as white people, we need to understand that we are not whiteness. Like whiteness is a construct. Whiteness is a, a way, a, a, you know, a spirit that is, is demonic and destructive, but was not made for us. And so when we reject whiteness, that doesn't require rejecting or hating ourselves. And really the deepest work that white people are going to have to figure out how to do is how to make an identity of what it means to be white that is not destructive towards other people. Like how we can yes. reclaim white, you know, whiteness, how we can reclaim and remake whiteness in a way that is life-giving, not only to white people, but to all of our neighbors. Um, so it's not to erase ourselves. We've got to wrestle with what has been done in the name of white people. And then to say, no, that was never the truth. It was never what I was created for. It was never intrinsically who I or anyone else who has skin that's deemed white was meant to be. And so we can repent of it and turn and joyfully walk in another way. Um, and we don't, you know, guilt and shame are not of the Lord. Yes, before there was whiteness, um, you were simply English and Irish and German, Italian, Greek, whatever. Armenian, um, whatever you yes. were. Yes. And then in this country, because the English and the Scottish were, were the people with privilege and power, when uh, people with white skin from other European countries started to move here, they wanted to fit in. And the way they 
could do that was listen we're not those black people we we're white like you and that was the way in and so what was built is this idea of privilege and power around whiteness and that you're right can be dismantled without hating who you are right and i think also to say like if you're someone like me you know my father's parents were both um orphaned and and adopted and so you know there's no going back and figuring out what European ethnicity. It doesn't require ancestry searches, although I think that's one of the reasons those are so popular is people are trying to figure out a way is what can my identity be other than white. But I mean, our identity is new creation in Jesus Christ. And that doesn't require hating who we were. But like Paul, we can soberly say, hey, I, you know, I did a lot of damage, or I came out of a tradition that did a lot of damage, but it wasn't created for that. And now I'm moving forward in freedom and joy with the Lord. And I'm, and I'm so excited about the good that God is doing, and about the um, redemption that is possible for everyone that, you know, I'm too full of, you know, Paul never wasted a second hating himself for, for what he had done before. And Paul had done I mean, mm-hmm. he'd murder people, mm-hmm. but you know, that is the radical, um, depth and power of grace. And, well, that's, and that's the power of having Jesus at the center. Correct. Correct. And not ourselves, Right. So, uh, we're running out of time. So I guess we're going to stop right there. So, um, thank you all so much for listening this week. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's church, Derida Presbyterian Church, D-E-R-I-T-A, deridapres.org is their website. And you can also find their YouTube channel, Derida Pres YouTube channel, and their podcast, which is on the Podbeam um, service. And if you want to worship with them, you can do that at 1030. Are y'all still at 1030? June, first Sunday in June, starting 11 o'clock. Okay. We're moving to 11 o'clock, first Sunday in June. Check, check the website, people. Yes. Pentecost, <laughs> moving to 11. Um, and if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's Church, The Grove, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. You can check out our YouTube channel and you can look at our podcast, The Grove Church Podcast, which is on iTunes or, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Just um, there aren't a lot of deridas in the world, but there are a lot of groves. So you got to look for our green tree and then you'll know you're at the right one. So thank you all so much for listening this week. And um, as long as stupid COVID <laughs> stays far away, <laughs> we will talk to you next week. <laughs>